Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of The Coach Potatoes. Today's podcast is an interview with Wesley Boers. Wesley is not only an innovation expert, he is also an innovation coach. He started his career as a biochemistry engineer working in R&D at Procter & Gamble. And he led projects at both a regional and a global level over 12 years and switched over to the B2B industry by joining Ecolab, where he overlooked value improvement programs. And in 2018, he moved to Singapore with his family. And through his corporate career, Wesley's discovered some really interesting things, which you'll hear during our interview, including that it's not really the chemistry in the bottle that makes him tick, but more the chemistry between the team players. And this encouraged him to become a coach and a systemic coach. He's the founder of Engage, where he helps organizations today unlock their human potential. And he does this by using innovation frameworks and systemic coaching methodologies. Wesley truly believes the human factor is key in making or breaking transformation efforts as innovation, when it boils down to its core, is by people for people. As you'll hear, I met Wesley for a coffee recently, so I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the Coach Potatoes. Hey, Andrew, thanks a lot for having me. That's a pleasure. Wesley, I've introduced you already, but tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and uh, your career journey so far. My career journey so far, maybe it started a bit uh, originally. So as many young kids in high school, yeah, you're, you're either good or not good in, in science or in, in languages. And for me, the science part always stuck out a bit. And... Uh, yeah, maybe I'll tell you a bit of story before the career because I always wanted to be a pilot. And I knew that my eyes were not perfect because I had this strabism as it's called, so uh, a lazy eye. And I, I rectified it a bit with exercise, but to make long story short, right after high school, after high school graduation, I was disqualified for both the yeah, army and also, and I never would have expected that for commercial flights. So I was actually, I didn't know what to do and actually I did one year of veterinary sciences and I learned a lot of there but what I also learned is I never wanted to be a veterinary doctor and then yeah uh, there was some pressure from home as well because I was always quite a good student but then yeah I messed up a bit my first year of university doing doing veterinary sciences and then I took a bit of, uh, a safe bet going for an engineer and then it, it turned out that I was quite good with organic chemistry, so I became a chemical engineer and then joining Procter & Gamble after a successful internship. And a bit uh, yeah, interesting thing is I never saw myself as an engineer because I was never the builder with Mechanor or with Lego, but I was good in, in uh, listening to people and, and connecting dots with each other. And, and that was actually my career. I did 14 years of product development at Procter & Gamble, various consumer good categories, various regions. But I never saw myself as the, the chemical expert, the PhD, the, one, the guy that creates new molecules and, and interactions. I only listen to people, to smart people, smarter people than me, and try to reapply that. And actually, it was quite successful. And uh, what I learned there is for me was not yeah, a bit the chemistry by itself but more the interaction between people okay. and uh, yeah, making a long story short was very interested in leadership courses then my wife told me one day hey why don't you go for this external coaching course and then yeah an entire new world opened itself 
when I joined that, that course. And then I felt a bit like uh, I, I came at a crossroad. And um, my passion and interest in, in a corporate career uh, yeah, diminished further and further. And then one day a headhunter came by and he said, why don't you come and talk with, with Ecolab? It's, it's a, not a B2C player, but a B2B in the chemical utility sector. And it's about the value improvement team. It's about a new team uh, planting a flag between existing divisions. So a lot of yeah, interaction as well with people, a lot of uh, yeah, politics as well, a lot of leadership influencing. So I decided to, to join that. I learned there a lot about also people dynamics. But what I learned again is that corporate was nothing for me. And then we are yeah, 14 years with two years, so around 15 years in my career. And then my wife got offered a job in Singapore and then we, we came here. And that's where I decided to shift gears and leave corporate and go for my own uh, yeah, coaching career. The first year I did not do that as an independent yet. I, I joined a small consulting firm, innovation consulting firm called uh, Budding Innovation, which is run by, by two ex-colleagues. And uh, I joined them and helped them out with design thinking courses and then with uh, yeah, agile and then lean approaches into innovation, uh, in corporate innovation. But then after a year in that, in that chapter, I, I felt that yeah, it's not exactly what I want to do. And I, I felt a bit that the things I want to do, uh, yeah, I need to maybe do it more myself. And I, I think I have a shot at this. Maybe it was a bit very naively what I was thinking there. So that was the end of 19. So I had the fantastic idea to start my own private limited in January 2020. And since January 2020, I, I run my own business called Engage. So it's a bit the combination of innovation and engage. So engage people to innovate. And I help leaders, I help organizations to especially work with their people chemistry, with the people dynamics, the culture, the, the mindset, the collaboration, the exchange, the order of people to, to boost innovation. And that's what I'm doing today. And yeah, it, it's been a year of COVID. And as we all know, that was not the easiest of all. And coming out of a corporate into a full entrepreneurial life, I, I banged my head a couple of times against several walls. And I, I learned a lot about blind spots that I thought I never had. But I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. And it's, I'm now in a phase which I also call a bit embrace the suck. Mm -hmm. So you cannot grow without going into uncomfortable situations and you have your highs, you have your lows and that's a bit the, cur the current roller coaster I'm in. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing uh, your journey so far, Wesley. No 2020 sounds like one hell of a year. Yeah, it was, it was a, a great year. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned your career and clearly a very successful career at uh, Procter and uh, Gamble and you mentioned Engage and the work that you're doing around uh, innovation. P&G has somewhat of a, in fact, a fantastic reputation for innovation and innovation excellence. Yeah. So could you just share with us a little bit about what you learnt about innovation excellence from your uh, time at P&G yeah. that you apply to your work with clients today? Yeah, indeed, it left a, a special mark on me because even in the days I, I worked for Ecolab or currently still today, I, I really still feel a, a big part a member of the P&G family. As I say, once you're uh, yeah, part of Procter, you, you never leave that company. And I must admit, 
I still have that, that strong connection. It, com it mainly comes through the people. So I think one of the things that stick out is, is a bit the culture. Uh, you ha really have great uh, relationships there because everything is based f uh, upon growth from within. So they don't hire directors or, or, or associate directors or, or leaders at higher levels. Everybody starts at the same level and, and that, that helps the growth from within. There's a big culture of mentoring each other, coaching each other about, yeah, about experimenting. That is one aspect, I think, which has brought me to where I am today. For me, innovation, it's all about the mindset. It's all about having the right culture. Because one day my wife told me something and it stuck with me. It's not that you're in R&D, that by default you're an innovator. And actually she was right because what was one of the pitfalls I also encountered is if you're in a big company, you're in R&D, you know the processes and you get a bit yeah, locked in, in, in current ways of doing things. And it's difficult to think out of the box and, and I, it's not different for P&G. You also have a lot of yeah, elephants in rooms there and, 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 and doing the things because these are the things we've been doing for several years and, 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 and don't think about other solutions. but. But some pockets in the organization have this very entrepreneurial spirit. And another aspect I think which stands out in terms of innovation excellence, which I also see now a lot in the market, because everybody talks about customer-centric thinking and about yeah, design thinking, empathy. I think that is giving with with a spoon, uh, fed to you by with a spoon at PNG is yeah, consumer is boss. Mm -hmm. And when we innovated products, we talked to the consumers, we went and did in-home visits, we, we did a bit, uh, yeah, uh, this uh, contextual inquiries. So you run with the consumers into their homes, you see how they do the wash, you see how they do the dishes. And then looking at all these small touch points, you see where your product can even improve or, or adjust. And I think that was one of the key things that also stood out for me. And that as a, as a chemist you bring back to your lab you try to a bit mimic these things that they do at home and then you really make a very customer centric product that, that really solves a need and, and that was the two things for me PNG is the culture and then a very consumer centric approach that, that are two uh, aspects that, that I really like and I think a third one and that was happening a bit when I left is they're also reaching out a lot PNG to academia and, and also to small uh, yeah, corporate startups and then a bit yeah, divide and conquer going out and, and partnering. I think that's also very needed today because not everything can come from within. There's a lot of knowledge outside and it's, it's about yeah, connect and develop. And I, I think that that's a third vector which I really applaud within the Procter & Gamble. That's really interesting to uh, learn, Wesley. Thank you. And that it sounds almost like it's a relationship or corporate relationship or corporate networking reaching out to these different bodies and uh, different Correct. areas of expertise. Correct, because you had, you had certain yeah, specific divisions who were only focused on, on generating new technologies cross-platform. So it was uh, by default that if a new technology comes in, it does not only need to bring benefits, let's say, for the laundry division, but it also ideally needs to bring benefits for the surface care division or the dish division or, or fabric enhancers. So, so you have this cross-fertilization 
and you had this one division that was responsible for that, so reaching out to to big uh, raw material manufacturers, to to academics, to learn new capabilities, new way of of, of doing analysis, having these joint ventures with with big players like like Dow and BASF, and 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 that was uh, really interesting to see how you come together and bring all the expertise in one room and all for the benefit of one customer and, and what do they exactly need and then bring everything together and see how well we can how we can yeah bridge that gap mm. yeah. okay. one of the things that my corporate uh, clients talk to me about is wanting to drive a culture of innovation in their business so given the work you've done recently but also your work at echo lab and png mm-hmm. What would be some of the advice you'd give people who want to drive a culture of innovation uh, into their business? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and uh, uh, and that's first and foremost for me. It, it's it's creating a culture, and it's maybe a cliche, but but the culture starts with the with the leaders, because in big organizations, what what you have is that you always have this yeah. Every three years you have this broadening assignment, so if you're in a big department, every three years you'll have another director or another vice president. And of course, directors and vice presidents are, are people too. <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes you want, yeah, is, are they people too? But yeah, they're, they're people too. And yes. of course, they, they have their own passions, they have their own areas of interest. And one person is, of course, more people focused, another one is more task focused. And, and, and that's what I felt as well. Like if you have a new director, you immediately see the impact on the culture. So what I want to say is leaders go first. So practice what you preach because it's by showing your behavior that, that people will follow because organizational behavior follows leadership behavior. That, that's critical. So it, it's not only having this, this one day offsite and we all go together and we have some nice lunch and then we think of some uh, new quotes to put on the wall and then we go back to our office and do what we did before. No, you need to have something sustainable. You need to have, and then it's all about what's the North Star, what's our purpose, then uh, seeing how we can link our organizational purpose with our individual purpose because then you can have a really engaged and empowered organization when people feel that their personal values, their belief system is connected with the values of your organization and is really your your personal identity who am i what does the outside world expect from me what does life expect from me if you can see that that you can contribute in an, in a in a context where it it, it can really boost the uh, the impact of that organization that that's really for me a, a must have and and then it's what is also critical with, with culture and if you want to change it and if you want to boost it, it's not rolling it out to the full organization immediately because in organizations you have people there for a long time, which I call a bit the tradition holders. Mm-hmm. And tradition holders are critical because they know all the, they have the knowledge, they know how things have been done, they, they've been through maybe some, some ups and some downs through some traumas, so, so they, have, they are the mentors. But of course, yeah, they, they're maybe the least open to change. And then you have the leapers on the other side of the mm-hmm. spectrum, people that, that want to do new stuff. But of course, that's a bit risky. So you need to have somebody in the middle, which are called the, the bridge builders. Mm-hmm. And, and as a culture coach, I, I 
assess a bit yeah, who are the leapers, who are the tradition holders, and who are the bridge builders. And then coming back to what I was saying is, if you enroll a new culture immediately to a full organization, you will yeah, bump into the old traditions and into a bit the immune system of the organization. And these immune cells will say, this is something new, I don't know you and I'm going to kill you because yeah, it can be risky. So, so you need to create a bit of safe bubble, maybe a new way of doing things, a new way of innovation, a, a new way of interacting with, with consumers, with a certain team, you empower them, uh, you have some bridge builders around them to give them enough safety of trust and enough holding space and, and then you foster that. I think that's also critical in, in growing a, a culture of uh, innovation. So first the leaders go first, what is our purpose, see that we connect it with individual purpose and then do, do some small bits. I think small bits are very important rather than doing one big leap of faith and then yeah. It's a make or break, and then often this turns out into a break, and then people say, I told you it will not work, and yeah, then, then you're back to square one. That's fantastic advice, Wes. I've not heard those expressions around uh, tradition holders and leapers and, and bridge builders before, and I love that concept of creating that safe space. And when I think back about my own uh, corporate work and where I've seen change be implemented successfully inside organisations, you're right, it's creating that uh, safe environment, creating a team who can be and you set them up for success uh, rather than try and boil the ocean in one effort or, or one go. So that's great advice. Yeah, yeah. Thank that, you. Yeah, that's often what you see. People try to boil the ocean, as you say, and yeah, you, you need to trust the process. And because everything today, especially in big organization, you have quarterly reports, what is our net outside sales, top bottom, and, and what's the smallest things I can do to have the biggest impact on my profit, on my sales, but yeah, these are often short-term goals. And, and of course, if you're a director only for two, three years in an organization, yeah, it, your career also depends on that. So you, you make sure that these two, three years, the department flourishes. So you're not going to say, oh, I'm going to install a new way of working so that we can, uh, that we can saw bit the profits in five years. Yes. Uh, that, that's, that's a bit the dilemma today. Yeah? So, so you need, I think you need to see what are some quick wins, but that have also a positive impact on the longer term for the broader organization. And you can only do that small. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's, as I say, uh, the journey of a thousand mile begins with, with, with the first step and it's taking one step at a time. And I'm also now thinking about Will Smith. He once gave this interview and yeah, he and his brother, one day they were still small kids and he, their father told them, build me a wall. But yeah, these were small kids, they didn't know how to make mortar and to put one stone on the other. But then he said, yeah, my goal was not to build the big baddest wall out there. I focused every day on laying one brick on another brick as perfectly as a brick can be laid. And I, that was my focus day in, day out. And that's a bit the mindset that you need to get with these small teams in organizations. How can we do today the best thing that we can do today so tomorrow we do exactly the same thing. And if you put every brick as perfect as it can be put upon the other brick, yeah, after a couple of months you have a quite a perfect wall. So that was, that was also an eye-opener for me, something that I that take with me is think of today you have, tomorrow is on shore, so, so what can you do today that, that can have the biggest impact uh, going forward? Yeah.
I never thought we'd be discussing Will Smith in the yeah, podcast, Wesley. Hey, so thanks came, for introducing him. That's a really great lesson. Uh, uh, it, came, it came naturally, so I thought of sharing it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Wesley, right at the start of our conversation today, you mentioned uh, systemic thinking or system-based yeah. uh, uh, thinking. Can you share with us uh, a little bit about what systemic thinking is and yeah. indeed how you came to know uh, and yeah. start to work with systemic thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe a small disclaimer. I don't see myself as, as, as a big expert in, in system thinking. A bit how it crossed my path was, was during my, uh, my training as a coach. Because you can coach in many different ways. You can, do, yeah, you can ask open questions. You can ask moving questions. You can let people draw things or, or work, work with items on a table. Uh, and one aspect of coaching was one day it came to me, it was systemic coaching. So it, it shows you that it's, it's not about you as an individual and your individual needs and your individual beliefs and, and your purpose. But as we all are humans, we're part of tribes, we're part of herds as we have always been since yeah, the day we differentiated ourselves from, from other primates. And because we belong to tribes and to herds, we feel a big loyalty to it. And, and there is a lot of unconscious things going on. And, and that was for me mind-blowing because the drivers and the blockers you have in, as a person can come from your yeah, individual self-belief, if, if you have a limiting belief system or, or, a, or an empowering belief system. That, that's why yeah, it's very important. I'm not saying it isn't. But on the other hand, you also belong to certain systems, to certain, yeah, tribes to certain teams or your family so for example if, if you're in a family of police officers and one day you're, you're like the sixth generation and you feel a need to become an artist then you must overcome not only maybe your own self-limiting beliefs like can I be the artist that I want to be but also I'm going to be very disloyal to the system that brought me to where I am today. I'm going to be disloyal to my father, maybe the father before him and the father before him. So everybody that came before me. And that has a, lot, a big unconscious impact on you. And th that's where it started. And it, th there's three things in, in system thinking that I always feel, feel very uh, yeah, interesting is uh, you need to belong somewhere. So the force of belonging is very powerful. If you feel that a group doesn't accept you for what you are, for what you can bring, you can be, yeah, you can do the best you're capable of doing, but then the impact will be far less because everybody around you will not accept you for what you are or what you can do. So belonging is, is key. Then the second one is the order. And the order is not like in a hierarchy, but it's, it's like also in a family, if you're let's say the youngest sibling, you learned that, that you need to get along and, and you know how to act with your elder siblings, you know how to act with your father, your mother in order to survive. So you learn very fast what is your place and what is demanded from you. So, so what is the place in your organization that you contribute to the bigger whole? And that's about order. And then the third one is exchange. So without exchange, there's no reason for existing. And, and often when I come in as a coach with organizations and they want to yeah, change the way they're working, 
uh, I see, I, I ask them, yeah, well, what is going well, what's going less well, and if they have problems, not look at problems as individual things, and that's maybe looking at it analytically, and, and breaking up things in parts, because that's what we all learned when going to school, when you see a problem, like a, a series of cocks, you take them all apart, you see the cock that has maybe a missing teeth or whatever, a missing part, you fix that cock, you put it back, everything works again, that's a bit doing things analytically. But then systemically is okay, these are the observations, these are the problems, let's not fix them, let's hold back from fixing problems, but let's take a step back and look at what the whole is trying to tell us. And, and then you, do, you look at problems not, not as a thing to solve, but as a source of information. And I say, oh, has this happened before? What, what happened before? Has it, how long has this been going on? What is it actually connected to? And what is actually not really being said? So it's a bit like bringing the elephants up, but the elephants in, in a vision of, or in a context of connections and interactions. And that's what I really like about the systemic thinking, the systemic coaching, because we're all interacted with each other. And often that's the thing that we forget because we are brought up and we look at things analytically, we get data, we try to uh, analyze data, we try to make uh, a good decision and go forward. But often the data is not a thing, it's just a symptom of something that's laying deeper. And then taking a step back, looking at what was lying, laying deeper, that helps us to bring insights which otherwise would not come to us. So that, that's maybe a long answer to, to systemic thinking, but that's what I really like the upside of it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Thanks, Wesley. So how do you apply that sort of approach? I think you've given us some hints already, but how do you apply that sort of approach to uh, a coaching clients in your coaching sessions? We talked already a bit about it. A key thing is, and yeah, that's what we're also doing now with, with this separate series uh, that we're doing together on moving questions. It, it's a type of question that you can also ask. Uh, and, and it's about opening people's perspective of looking at a broader playing field. And, and, and you can do it in different ways. One way is, is asking questions. And then you say, oh, I'm stuck here. I have a... I don't collaborate that well with my partner and, and he has a totally different vision than me or with my boss, whatever. And then you can say, oh, you can look at, oh, that's a perfect, uh, that, that's a person, sorry, and, 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 and he or she has these issues in terms of values, but you can then broaden it up. You can say, oh, is it the first time this happens? How old is this? Uh, if this thing happens, what are you actually connected to? Who, who is speaking here or who do you think the, the other person is connected to and, and what is actually not, not being said here what, where or who does it actually belong to and these are questions that opens up a bit the playing field uh, invite you to take a step back and, and look at interactions look at connections rather than looking at solutions so that, that's a key thing helping people looking at connections looking at interactions and another way I also make that visually is by what they call like table constellations. And, and then I bring forward like, like small, like, like Lego dolls or Playmobil dolls or, or wooden puppets, uh, wooden dolls. And, and I ask the coachee to put them in a certain place like, like the situation is at the moment. 
and then by looking at it you can see the bigger field you can look at interaction you can see who's uh, looking at who who is looking away from somebody else and by coaching in this visual context the systemic information comes to the surface so these are two ways you can do it physically with a bit constellation work or you can do it with some moving questions that bring you into a different realm if that makes sense mm, it does it does and do you work with both corporate clients wesley and private clients when you're coaching yeah yeah i, I both i, I do uh, both contexts so so i help with leadership teams if if they want to improve uh, the dynamics, they want to improve the, the culture, then the first yeah team to look at, if you, if you want to drive like organizational changes, look at, at, at the leadership team. How, how are the dynamics going there? In terms of what I uh, referred to before, how is the belonging? Does every leader have a feeling of belonging? Does everybody feel the right to be there, to say what they need to say? Do they feel appreciated? What's a bit the all the functions of, of the leaders between them is one leader uh, yeah having the primary right to say is, is maybe one leader taking more decisions or maybe less de decisions than they need to so then other people need to step up or take a step back how is the exchange going in a, in a leadership uh, team so these are three forces I look at through questions or we can do some some physical representation and that's what you do in a professional context. And then in a personal context, it, it works the same, like people stuck in the career, what I want to do, uh, I'm not feeling well in the, when I need to speak to a lot of people, and then we can visualize that with, with this table constellation I was talking about, or, or I can say, oh, well, what are you connected to? Well, what's maybe your earliest memory feeling in a very similar situation? Oh, it was when I was uh, eight years old with my siblings, with my parents, oh, and then, and then you can start talking about loyalty. Who are you loyal by staying who you are today? Because you, I feel you, you want to change, but for some reason you're stuck. So there's something holding you back. And then by doing this systemic assessment, you say, ah, oh, you maybe reveal that maybe it's a, a loyalty to father, mother, to another sibling that you hold, uh, yeah, that you hold away a bit your potential. Mm. Yeah? Okay, and if people are interested in working with you or contacting you, Wesley, how do they do that? Uh, yeah, you can you can reach out to me in in various ways. I think uh, lately, yeah, since I'm quite a fresh entrepreneur and coach, I'm I'm quite active on LinkedIn to build a bit my my personal equity, to build a bit my my brand, being a systemic coach, helping with innovation. So you can DM me on my LinkedIn. I put all my uh, contact information there and my company is called Engage, so it's uh, I-N-N-Gage.com, so you can reach out to me or WhatsApp me and the, all the information is on my, my LinkedIn uh, profile. Yeah. And we'll certainly uh, have all the uh, contact details for you, Wesley, in uh, our show notes as well, so sure. our podcast listeners can uh, see all those details uh, there as well and uh, contact you through those details. But Wesley, I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of myself and, uh, and the podcast listeners to uh, what's been a really interesting conversation with you. I've learned uh, quite a lot about uh, both innovation, uh, some of the keys to success, uh, but also quite a lot about uh, system and systemic thinking. So uh, thanks for sharing your really interesting journey with us today. Great. It's my pleasure, Andrew, and thanks again for having me.